Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Pleased to be with you in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes of gaming goodness because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week, delivered the way we love it to be, and that is completely free. Thanks to our sponsor this week, HelloFresh. They're bringing the show to you, DLC, of course, the show all about games and their many forms games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles. Also, games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Canada, that's spelled with two N's and one T. And I'm joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis. The guy who got onto this podcast through a sudden death play-in game, Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. It was tough. Um, I suddenly died, and I'm in. (laughs) Hey, (laughs) if you had to play one video game to determine, like, you know, you get one shot. Do not miss your chance to blow. You know, that kind of, like, what game do you pick? Street Fighter 2 at the stop and go when I was a kid and there was only <laughs> one other person who knew how to fix. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got gotcha. you. Uh, all right. Hey, we have a jam-packed show for you. We got game news. We got tons of big releases. There's a new Far Cry out. There's, uh, there's all kinds of stuff. There's a new, I don't know if you're aware of this. But there's a uh, there's a series called Metroid that has a new installment that is also available. Now, it hasn't been a new Metroid in, in quite some time, I'm told. So anyway, we are going to be talking about all of it, and we have an awesome guest to do it with. You know the DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week, I'm so excited because DLC stands for Discretionary List of Choices. Because from the optional podcast, we have Paul Tamayo joining us for the first time. What's up, Paul? What is going on, Jeff? What's going on, Christian? Thank you so much for having me. This is like legitimately wild to me because I've been a fan for years and years and years uh, of both years of both your guys' work. Uh, Jeff, a little fun fact for anybody who wants to update my Wikipedia page after this episode. I was actually in an episode of uh, the Totally Rad Show with my brother. Is that so? Uh, yeah, believe it or not. Yeah, we, we we met you at the New York meetup. So we were in that episode wow. way back when. So yes, yeah, I've been, that was I've been quite a, fan a while ago. 
probably yeah, what, like was... 2008 2009 something like that yeah yeah we don't have the you know we don't have to add the numbers up you know <laughs> oh, no, believe me, i don't i don't want to <laughs> i i am old yeah uh, uh, but no seriously awesome. uh yeah y- y'all have been huge inspirations to us over at the optional as well uh, me and my co-host cam are huge fans again like i said my brother we're, we're big fans so yeah um appreciate you having me of course well i I'm I'm glad to have you. I know that you have some uh, some things to say about Far Cry. We'll get to those. I'm excited to hear it and excited to have you on the show. So let's kick things wait, off. Wait, wait, sorry, sorry, sorry. I'm, I, we can't kick. I just want to pause. If you're only if you're seeing this on video mm. right now, it is a progression of facial hair growth that I just needed to acknowledge. I am <laughs> just like a five o'clock shadow. Paul's got a little bit more, and then Jeff still has his. It's uh, also a descent into uh, agedness, you know, Paul, and then you. Well, you've got to move Paul over a little bit. That the order's not quite right, but yeah. yeah. Oh, I don't know what order you're seeing things in. Um, the, the twitch, the twitch, the twitch order. Ah, sorry, the twitch, sorry, sorry. I see. Uh, all right. Well, let's uh, with that very essential piece of information. <laughs> I'm for this, back, baby. You missed. Audio podcast. I'm super excited. We <laughs> stopped me from talking in order to get that bit of info out. All right, let's uh, let's let's get to story of the week. Story of the week. It's the story of the week. Story of the week. It's the story of the week. Story of the week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happen in the world of games this week. You can always submit stories for our consideration by sending us an email to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. You can also send us comments or questions. Hey, even reviews of your own games. If, if you want us to talk about a game that we haven't played or we didn't talk about in a way that it was in sync with what you thought, send us your review. It might get on the show at dlcfeedback at gmail.com. Also, we have great fan communities and cool folks to hang out with and talk about the show and talk about stories in two locations, the subreddit, which is 5x5dlc.reddit.com, and the Discord, which is also 5x5dlc on Discord. So I urge you to take part in those communities, fun folks hanging out there. But Paul, you are our guest, so you get first pick of stories. What would you consider to be your story of the week? Oh, it's got to be the massive Twitch leak that that's that happened very, very recently. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's just... Interesting that this also happened at on the heels or I think around the same time, if not the exact same time as the Facebook outage and, you know, just this yeah. current world that we live in where our data is isn't as safe as we think it is. And, you know, um, yeah, just it's it's interesting. Gave us a peek on, under the curtain over at Twitch in a lot of different ways. Um, but uh, yeah, that that has to be my my pick for the week. Yeah, I think that's that is a huge, huge story. And, you know, I, I think the. The headline that sort of came out first is what's everybody making? And it turns out there's a lot of people making a lot of money. Uh, but I think it's, you know, the story, that's the the big juicy uh, part that everybody can relate to is like, wow, there's, there's some folks making some serious coin uh, streaming things. But I think the uh, the deeper layer, which kind of what you're referring to, Paul, is just how much of a leak this is evidently 125 gigabytes of data was leaked, including Twitch's entire source code reportedly Uh, SDKs for the site apps plans. There is uh, this rumored steam competitor that seems to be embedded in the code there, at least the early stages of it code named vapor which is going to compete with Epic Game Store and Steam supposedly will be a Twitch-based 
storefront and marketplace. Um, you know, Twitch originally was kind of cagey about whether or not this was authentic. They have confirmed it. They had a blog post saying that the, the leak happened because of an error in its server configuration change, which was exploited by hackers. Classic, classic error though. Like talk about, mm. Oh yeah. You, you definitely it. edit your config sys and auto exec bat files. Uh, you know, <laughs> always offline. saying that. Yeah. Offline. <laughs> um, I, so Paul, have you changed your Twitch password? And as a result, how worried are you about this? And what does it tell us about? I mean, you kind of were already hinting at the the broader online data security issues, but what does it tell us specifically about Twitch that you find interesting? Well, I mean, the, the one thing that I find, I think, the most interesting, and, and I, it's, it's hard to like really know all the details, but we can sort of make, you know, we can all kind of take guesses about how things might be running over there. But I mean, what I find interesting is, I mean, one, on in addition to how much these creators are making, you got to assume that they're that Twitch is also making, you know, double that if they're taking X amount of money, or, you know, whatever the equation is. But it's interesting, because this also I mean, I see it a lot on my on my timeline, especially from marginalized streamers, and streamers who happen to be PLC or LGBTQ and like, you know, have been demanding for a while now for like to to help them, you know, ha- create safer spaces because of the hate rays that have happened, especially over the last couple months. And it's interesting because, you know, we can, you know, thankfully, to answer your, your first question, I definitely changed my two factor authentic- authentication password and all that stuff immediately. Um, but thankfully, according to the, I think their blog post, or I think some of the reporting around it, the credit card information that's been, that is like, you know, attached to your account, I don't think is stored on, on the Twitch side of things. So I think we're right. hopefully okay on that side. Who knows, like, what, you know, how, how this will unfold, but either way, I think it's a safe bet for everybody out there to change your passwords immediately, enable two factor and, you know, just have that peace of mind. But yeah, yeah it's interesting. It, it, it's, uh, it, it paints a, a a, a little bit more of a picture of Twitch that um, we haven't really been able to have previously because of how secretive they've been or, you know, not responsive when a lot of these creators are asking for, for help, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting that you, you bring, you bring it up in that light because um, you know, <laughs> this leak originally was posted on 4chan and the anonymous hackers responsible claimed that this was sort of an act of uh, righteous retaliation against Twitch's toxic community. And, you know, posting about a toxic community on 4chan, you know, is a bit like, you know, <laughs> you know, saying it's dirty in the mud pit. But, um, it, 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 you know, it's interesting that, you know, who knows that, that you could just wrap yourself in these, in these uh, things, do, you know, do something illegal and awful and uh, say it's, you know, you're Robin Hood. But I do think that there is this, you know, I participated just la- what last month in uh, the day off of Twitch uh, as a, a form of protest. You know, my show, The Dungeon Run, which is uh, streamed on Twitch on Wednesdays. Wednesday was a day off Twitch. We did not do a show that night. Um, there is a groundswell of um, sentiment about how Twitch does not seem to be taking seriously all these kind of hate raids and and the, and the stuff that um that is is really negative and the platform is being used for so you know it, it, i don't know is there is there some do you feel a sense paul at all of uh schadenfreude about it i mean are you are you glad to see them taken down a notch um 
um, that, I don't know. I, I'm curious. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess a, a bit, right? Like it's it's so it's unfortunate that it had to come to this, and it's I, I think it's a little, you know, it's I guess it is fascinating to see what these creators are making a month, you know, and and just yeah. kind of that that number alone just completely blows my mind. Uh, yeah, I think more than anything, I think unfortunately there is an upside to this, and I, I hope that you know it just continues to bring more awareness to people out there about you know how sensitive a lot of these platforms still are and how much work they still need to do in order to just keep things safe for everybody. Right. Like, yeah. um, because you know, there's only some, you know, I guess I'm, I'm not trying to, you know, I, I have a sort of saying, right. I just kind of borrow from a friend of mine. Um, I just like, don't, don't stand companies, you know, like definitely keep, just remember, um, that, you know, there, there are still things that these places can do, um, you know, at the risk of not, always making the most money if that were, you know, if the, those decisions were made. But I think right. at this point, uh, more than anything, I hope it furthers the conversation or hope it continues to further the conversation that there needs to be more protections in place for, for everybody, but also like listen to the folks that are trying to make your platform bigger and better and like who care about it because it shouldn't require something like this to hopefully get the ball rolling. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I don't necessarily think that takes you out of the crosshairs of hackers, but you know, certainly it, it does improve the, the sentiment from your audience <laughs> if, you, yeah, if you're yeah. actually doing the right thing. Um, Christian, you know, uh, w- when the, the big first uh, info dump happened and, and all the dollar amounts were posted, uh, I texted you and said, you know, this is usually where I say I'm, I'm in the wrong, I'm in the wrong job, but I'm not in the wrong <laughs> job. I'm just, I guess I'm just not doing it very well. <laughs> anyway. Uh, interesting to see, uh, these, these, you know, we, we know the, there's a lot of people uh, or a small group of people making a heck of a lot of money on Twitch. No surprise there. Um, I think for me, maybe interesting. I'm curious what you think, Christian, about this idea of a steam competitor that is built around the Twitch platform. Do you think that would have legs? And is it something that you think could potentially be a positive for consumers to have, you know, even more competition in that market. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I I do think there's room for more digital marketplaces, so to speak, assuming they don't put an extra burden on the consumer. Digital storefront exclusives are annoying. Um, I understand why they exist, but it's annoying to build your friend base in one area and have it not convert over to something else. And I know we've talked about this before when Epic Game Store launched and there are software programs that kind of consolidate all of that stuff and kind of bring you into a centralized place. But it's an, it's annoying. And I think kind of going back to this leak, uh, nothing's safe, right? As <laughs> as everything was at the Home Depot leak five years, probably eight years ago. Everything's five years ago. Uh, eight <laughs> years ago now that did leak everybody's credit card information. Um, Facebook had massive leaks before as well, like, or data breaches, whatever you want to call it. Which is weird because, you know, Home Depot is where you go when you have a leak. You don't expect a leak (laughs) at the Home Depot. Wow. Well done. And that's our show. We have hit the (laughs) high note. Y'all appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) So, you know, it's like, yeah, another storefront could be good for consumers, but it's like, it's another place where I'll need to update my credit card or another two factor, like in that aspect. But do I think it could make business sense for 
Amazon to have a better integrated store into Twitch than what they have right now with Amazon. I do, you know, especially as Luna, if it becomes more of a mainstream thing, the idea of clicking, purchasing, playing, all the stuff that Stadia was advertising back in the day, and the stuff that Microsoft is kind of doing now with Game Pass, now bringing that to PC as well, where it's sign up for Game Pass, stream a game immediately. Uh, and then if you like it, click to buy it and there you go. And if Twitch can then implement that in to, you know, you're watching a content creator play a game and, and you really like what she's playing, you can click buy. Maybe that person then gets a kickback also. And then, so there's a lot of that money to be made, um, that I think could be beneficial for folks that cuts down on those barriers. Another Amazon product, uh, comiXology, and these are some Apple App Store you know, requirements, where it's like, oh, you're in the app, you're reading it, and I know the App Store stuff's changing, kind of, maybe there's appeals. But like, you're in the app, and you're like, oh, I do want to get uh, Batman 89 number two. Well, I can't buy it in the app. So I close the app, then I go to the web store, then I buy it, then I open up the app to read it. Like All of that stuff is a tiny barrier of entry that might keep me from purchasing it. And the same thing's true of video games. If I'm watching Paul play Battlefield, and he's having a great time, and I could buy it right from his stream and then start playing with him. That's huge. That's huge. And, and Stadia is trying. Stadia was supposed to be doing right. Exactly. I, I was just thinking that. Yeah. Yeah. Stadia was that. Where, where's but that? They haven't cracked it. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So I think it could be cool, but I, it, it's tough. And I think just circle back to it quickly. To Paul's point, we saw what all these top creators are making, but again, they're not loss leaders for Amazon. You know what I mean? Like. Yeah. The house wins in all of these instances. The creators yeah. are making money, yes, but the platform, the platform is making wealth. If that makes sense, yeah. I mean, I don't think that they're. I don't think it's it's the analogy is correct to say it's the house, right? They're not. There's no. There's no losers here. It's just everybody's making lots of money, and they're making money from everybody. <laughs> you know, the the platform makes more money than any one individual because it makes money from all the individuals. Uh, but well, it makes more money than the top individual from that individual. They are getting a big, they're, they're not giving that the top earning individual is not getting the bulk of their money. Do we know right? that to like, be true? I would assume that, that the, that the top earning individual would make a greater percentage than the platform. Well, there possible. might be, there might be exclusivity deals or something like that, but in, for general folk, and I, assuming how this scales, the percentage of payout is kind of like the app store, right? Like the percentage of payout isn't the creator gets the majority of that money. I would think it it would be. I would think the creator would get the majority of that money. Wouldn't it be sort of like a they take a tiny percentage of overall earnings? They take twenty percent, say. Maybe uh, I could be wrong. I think that's but... the case. But regardless, I'm not arguing that you know these are very profitable platforms. But again none of these people would be making that money without the platform. So I'm not defending the corporation, but I also don't think it's like, you know, it's the equivalent of a, of a walking into a casino. <laughs> you know, I don't think that's the same kind of thing. Um, anyway, it, it's fascinating. You know, you I kind of feel bad for the folks whose income is plastered all over the internet and there's like websites now for it. But also it's hard for me to, you know, shed a tear for people making that kind of coin. That's, that's a, that's a serious and and as somebody that, like I said, is, has a uh, live play Dungeons and Dragons show, boy, am I jealous of Critical Role. <laughs> wow, we, uh, they are making almost double, they're number one on Twitch, right? Making almost double what number three is making. 
that's just bonkers money. Uh, and kudos to them. They put out a great product. I'm a fan. But, um, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's, you look at that and you go just, wow, that's extraordinary. Okay. Christian Spicer, what is your story of the week? Yeah, there's a lot of juicy stuff, but the thing I want to make sure we talk about is uh, came from the Pokemon company, and we got some clarification as to... Oops, I clicked on something wrong. We got some clarification as to the structure of Pokemon Legends Arceus, um, which I'll probably learn I've been saying wrong. It's a, It would be like GIF or JIF, and they'd be like, actually, it's Arceus. So Ar- yeah. Is, I, have you heard them say it? I haven't heard anybody say it. I'm sure I... Have it I could be Arceus or Arceus. I've watched Arceus. every single piece of media of it. Paul, right. have they ever said it? I have no idea. I'm sorry. I'm out the Pokemon game. I was out in like fifth grade. <laughs> so I'm, I, I wish I could help you. Nah, I've said enough stuff wrong on this episode, so I'll just keep it. Keep the train <laughs> just rolling. Keep it going. Yeah, keep it going. But this, I will. This I'll have right because they did a thing about it, and I I paid attention to it. From the release, the the first trailer, the um, expectation was this is Pokemon Breath of the Wild. Is it breath or breathe? No, just kidding. Um, That it is this huge open world system where you're interacting and kind of like the open areas in um, the last Pokemon game, Sword and Shield, but bigger. Um, Arceus. Arceus? Hot slag, you're killing me. Arceus? Oh, man, everybody now. Okay, pile (laughs) it on. We'll never know. Dr. Zeus, Dr. Zeus, Dr. No. Um, so, and that was kind of the speculation that is this huge open world, the breath of the wild of Pokemon. And now the Pokemon company has come out and said, it's, nope, it's not an open world game. Many people have made that assumption. It appears the way people are now running with the description, the Pokemon company game, uh, gave is that the game is more closely resembles, um, monster hunter instead of you have this huge breath of the wild world or far cry six map where you can go anywhere. You have a main village. That's your base of operations. If you haven't played Monster Hunter, it's where you interact with all the town. It's a, an RPG town, right? Where you have all of those fixings of a town. And then from there, you go out on your little quests. And some of those areas, assuming it follows the Monster Hunter mold, can be fairly big, especially some of the newer Monster Hunters. You'll be out in a mission, and it's an area you'll reuse a few times. And it's, it's, it's a fairly large space to explore, but it's discreet. When that is done you then go back to your hub and you pick up your next mission or something like that. And I think that's super interesting because it is definitely not the impression I got from the trailer that showed the kind of the breath of the wild, you know, mountain camera view, your trainer on their back kind of exploring this great world. Um, But it also doesn't sound bad. And so I'm super glad that they're setting what those expectations are. And I'm curious why it took so long. Well, you know, if they've been like, you know, and it's not so much Breath of the Wild. Like if we had to compare it to a Legend of Zelda game, it wouldn't be Breath of the Wild. It would be what if they made Legend of Zelda, but Pokemon and it's a Pokemon. It's a Pokemon game. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think. Paul, I don't know if you have other examples where like we're still several months out from release for this game. It's a Mm -hmm. 2022 game, um, but where they kind of let this expectation run for a bit and then came in in a big way. And we're like, Ooh, Ooh, ooh. we know you've been saying this for checks watch six months now, (laughs) but now that we're three months out from release, we want to clarify you've all been wrong. The game's still great. 
go play. Like, have we seen that? There has to be an example, but I can't think of, and like, not we changed it. You're not like, we were making this, but now it's not. Can't I can't think honestly? I can't think of anything like that. It's it's this is. I mean, I don't know. I feel like Pokemon is one of those games, especially lately, where fans have been either in love with something or completely like uh, against it in a lot of ways. So I feel like this is them hopefully trying to get ahead of that and just be like, just. just I, I mean, I kind of like it. I mean, I, I'm not. I'm not. Again, I'm not a big Pokemon person, but I do feel like if you can just sort of set these expectations a bit clearer and explore things, it's it's. I mean, or you know. Go, go into go in depth with them i think that's i guess better for everybody right yeah i think there's, jeff you're, I think there's, you're a monster it, hunter fan is this yeah. more appealing to you uh, i mean i i'm not gonna be like more appealing than the game. breath of the wild <laughs> than the breath of the wild approach like is no, that i think i think it's cool i think i think it's cool to take a big franchise that has a universe of things to explore and adventure and put it in a big explorable universe i think that's cool uh and i think there's various ways to pull that off. One of those is to have it be a big breath of the wild style open world. And another is to sort of do a hub world that feels still feels grand and uh, interconnected in a certain way. And, and, and has, uh, you know, you feel like you're exploring this large place, but you know, I, I don't think monster hunter feels any less grand than breath of the wild per se. I just think it's two, two ways to go about it. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to, me probably playing the Pokemon thing. I'm just not a Pokemon guy, but it, I think it is cool that they're finally kind of taking that universe and putting it into a, uh, on a larger palette like that. Um, yeah, I think Breath of the Wild has more of that. I mean, it's what it's known for, right? More of that discovery and you stumble upon the next thing. And I think people are excited about that for Pokemon and Monster Hunter. There's discovery in Monster Hunter. It's just not quite the same. You know, it's, it's, pur- it's more purposeful. <laughs> I think. Yes. It's like you find a way to a, a different route or a better way to do the thing that you were already doing. I don't think you find something that's like, I was chasing this monster, but, but now I'm creating a boat out of fig leaves. But and- doesn't it make more sense for the Pokemon, you know, I don't know, what do you want to call it? Uh, temp- template or, or um, hook what you go to Pokemon for is basically the same thing you go to Monster Hunter for, which is I'm going to go out and I'm going to try to get this one thing. Monster Hunter means, you know, killing a big monster and harvesting its parts for a very specific reason. You know, I'm going to find this crazy rare monster and harvest its parts so I can get the cool armor. And in Pokemon, it's literally capturing the monster. But they're basically the same idea. I think it's it's much closer to what what that game what you want out of that franchise than it in breath of the wild is right because it it doesn't even kind of apply to pokemon in my head it would really feel like a big departure from the template of the series and it makes more sense to me to go okay here i am in the hub world you know i have an opportunity to get x y or z pokemons you know in these areas i'm going to depart for those specific areas hoping to get those pokemon rather than like just wandering around and hoping that the right Pokemon comes out. I feel like that just makes more sense to me. Yeah, it's an interesting point. I think you'd still have areas that have certain types, right? And like, oh, there's been a reported this type of Pokemon. I mean, I think to some extent showing Pokemon working in a big open world is Pokemon Go, 
which is right. mm. the actual open world, the actual <laughs> open world. And like they brought in battles and they've added things to it. But I, so I think that style of game could certainly also work, but I, I guess for me, the story was interesting one because of the clarification of, of what is likely going to be a very, uh, sought after game, a game that sells a bunch of numbers, right? I, I think this is going to do very well for Nintendo. Um, and I thought it was interesting that this clarification came after, like they had to have known. I mean, they clearly they did. Cause they said, that's not that. And I thought that was really interesting. Like how long they let people think one thing before trying to get ahead of it here as we're, you know, still several months from release, but I mean, I feel like that's it. not as uncommon as perhaps you're pointing out. I mean, I think of something like even Elden Ring. Yeah, I don't know. Kind of that, right? Where Elden Ring, like people went wild speculation as to what it was until From Software was finally like, well, here's what it is, you know? Yeah, right. maybe. Yeah, I, I will say it is kind of nice to see a game like Pokemon sort of remind us that, um, oh yeah, we're, you know, we're we're trying to keep up with the times. Like we're we're trying to react and respond and be influenced in a lot of ways by other games who have, you know, done this sort of repetitive thing that Pokemon does so well. Um, I, I mean, it, it was like a, it was a, you know, no pun intended, Breath of Fresh Air when when uh, Breath of the Wild came out because it was like, oh yeah, like Nintendo still, not that this is Nintendo. I know this is, uh, what is it, Game Freak, uh, if I'm not mistaken, um, the developer. Um, yeah, I'm not, but, I'm not certain. Yeah, but yeah, it's yeah, sort of not a, directly Nintendo. Yeah. Right, right. But but it is it is cool. I, I always find that fascinating to see games that have, you know, been one thing for so long, <laughs> finally decide to try something new. It's always like, oh, cool. You know, that 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 is possible. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, a number of stories that I could pick for my story of the week. Uh, you know, I guess folks are excited about the new the last Smash Brothers character being announced. Sora from Kingdom Hearts. A lot of a lot of excitement, anticipation there. Not really my story of the week, right? Not my story of the week. Um, But I will stick in the Nintendo uh, wheelhouse because this one, uh, you know, most of the time I want to pick a story of the week that makes me happy or is a big deal, makes me excited, something I'm looking forward to, something that really uh, energizes me. Eh, This one... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> More of a, I'm kind of, I'm kind of ticked. <laughs> yeah, As yeah. somebody who has been dealing with Switch Joy-Con drift way more than I should have for a piece of hardware that is this successful. Like, talk about raking in money hand over fist and just letting people deal with it. And I know I've got a number of emails. Every time I brought up the drift issue, a number of emails are like, you know, people being very helpful. Thank you all that you've, you've emailed the show and said, you know, there are ways to contact Nintendo and have them replace your, your Joy-Cons, et cetera, et cetera. But there's a, a story this week about the Switch OLED, which is coming very soon. You may be it's having out. yours by the time you hear this. Yeah, a lot out. of people don't. It's out. But most people don't have them. My understanding, they haven't been the shortages. You know, we have supply chain issues. We're in a global pandemic still. Regardless of that, uh, Nintendo officially saying we've improved the Joy-Cons in the Switch OLED version. But you're probably still going to deal with some drift. Let's be honest. We can't. We don't know what's going on. We still are absolutely clearless about why these things behave that way. But it isn't stopping anybody from buying it. So, woo, let's 
let's keep let's keep selling joy cons the way they are I, I was just kind of shocked and appalled by this this story they're saying quote joy con controllers uh have improved uh the the joy con controller specifications haven't changed in the sense that we didn't add any new features such as new buttons but the analog sticks in the joy con controllers included in the nintendo switch oled model are the latest version with all the improvements However, <laughs> we don't really know what's causing the drift, and so you're probably still going to be dealing with it. Well, I think they know what's causing it, and it's not necessary. I mean, it's a movable part, and a. Sh- I mean, I don't know if you my my, my dual sense drifts. Oh wow! Like, like that bad? Really? I I haven't experienced. I've never experienced ever experienced it as bad as I experience it with the Joy Cons. Well, yeah, they're, they're like they're like tires, you know. You're, you got to expect some kind of wear over time, and uh, you know these things kind of happen. We don't know. We're working on it, but they're you know. What, what do you want? Yeah. I don't know. What do you want? You, you buy just buy the new one. Come on. How much of yours, Jeff? I'm curious. Is what I would consider Joy-Con drift, and how much of it is disconnecting? I mean, like, disconnecting look, is infuriating. That's but, what, yes. But I, I mean, maybe I'm. Um, like maybe I'm labeling something that's drift that is more of a disconnection issue, but I, I don't. We don't get fully disconnected. It's just Mario starts running one direction on the screen. <laughs> yeah. He just yeah, starts running dis- to one direction, and you can't are you stop playing, him. Are you playing with the Joy-Con off the Switch? Yes, because the Switch is docked. This I, is the I only think, time I experience it. I think you're running into that old fangled, which also hasn't. I don't know if it's been fixed, but like the left Joy-Con disconnect yeah. and not the analog drift well, but it's not disconnecting it's just like i mean maybe again i'm fully prepared to say that i am mislabeling a, a problem i'm i'm attributing one thing to another thing but the the fundamental issue is that this is like not acceptable i think as a consumer product that have that much issue around it and to be like yeah we're putting on a new one that's probably still going to be some issues guys i just we just i'm just clueless we just we just <laughs> I mean, can't at launch, I had that issue with the, the left Joy-Con where there was a point where I was so into Breath of the Wild and then I had to send that back in for them to fix it or I guess maybe even replace it and send it back. But I have gone through multiple sets of Joy-Con and I still get drift on the left one. I, I mean, you know, the other night I was so excited to boot up some Tetris Effect, which I might talk about a little bit later. Um, and I couldn't even boot it up because the, my menu wouldn't let me get off yeah. of the, the right most thing. And, um, yeah, it's just, it's infuriating. It's, it's like, you know, all, all, for all the talk about how, you know, how cool they are and HD rumble and all these cool right. little sensors and things inside of them. Um, you know, it got, it got to a point where at one point I was just considering getting, uh, getting the smaller version that where they're not even, you can't even detach them, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I I I hope they can fix it. <laughs> I mean, the, the Switch is so good. I mean, I would love a 4K version soon, Nintendo. I know you. Yeah. you know, I know you don't want to talk about it, but I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just putting that out there. I'm putting that energy out there. Um, yeah, I, I just like. I don't know. It, it for for such a great console that one you know asterisk. I think will will be a pretty big one when we when we look back on it in in the future about how like you know how annoying it was. It's crazy to me that more people don't talk about it. I, for as, for as much of a problem as it's been, and and it sounds like you have iterated your actual Joy Cons and tried to fix it, and it's just never. It, I don't know. I don't know. I I don't know if this is technically what they're referring to when they say drift, 
I mean, the definition of drift is movie character in one direction, but it goes in a different direction. That's what I'm talking about. But maybe I'm not speaking exactly to what they're referring to. Regardless, I just, I wanted more people to bring this up and hold them accountable because this is, it's just ridiculous that how many years into the Switch launch are we? They've got a new version coming out and they're just like, yeah, you should probably expect that to still be a thing. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, I, I mean, I because of I sent my and they did say that when you send in yours for repair, they bring they you get it with like the updated whatever that they have in this OLED. But yes, drift will still probably, you know, happen. Like I sent my left Joy-Con in for repair because of that, you know, non-responsiveness um, issue back when. And it got slightly better, but it's still not uh, at a way where I felt comfortable ever using them detached and sitting at my couch, like my normal distance from my console that I bought a pro controller and I'm just, you know, if it's docked, I'm not using the joy con. Um, if I have it in handheld mode, then yeah, I have the joy con and I do experience what I would consider similar to my dual sense, like drift. I, it's weird. Cause on my dual sense, I, I see it the most in death loop. And I don't know if that's just because that's the game I'm playing the most on it. And it's the only first person shooter I'm really playing on my PlayStation five. So I see it more, but my reticle will just, I'll let go and it will just, just kind of keep well, Nintendo going a has, little bit. Has said that one cause could be just uh, dirt getting getting in there. And, you know, we, we have established that you have filthy hands. Mm. No, the opposite. You, said, like, you will not wow. purchase a, a light colored co- controller anymore because it yellows and decays in, in <laughs> seconds. You said seconds. But yet, okay, you hold on, I'm your, rolling away. No, no, no. Gotta wash your hands Soiled. 20 seconds, Christian. Come on. <laughs> no, what are we doing? No, no, no. I'm going to show it here. I know most people, the vast majority of people only will listen to this. But I tweeted this out as I've been talking talking about it. People are like, is that brand new? Did you just clean that? No, I have nice hands. This is my original SP. That is wow. mint. That's pristine. Mint. Yeah. Thank mm-hmm. you, Paul. Jeff, I accept apologies. Email to <laughs> elcfeedback at gmail.com. My fault that you didn't play the original SP at all. Dude, just stop. Okay, I'm going <laughs> camping again. A good day. A good day. Right, I get to call Patrick and Lana again. <laughs> I'll threaten you with a good time. <laughs> all right. Well, get your act together, Nintendo. Come on. Come on. Let's get a 4K version with controllers that actually work. How about Is yes. that too much to ask? Not I mean, apparently, that. yes. <laughs> <laughs> in this in this economy, <laughs> evidently it is. All right, uh, we got tons of games to get to, so let's do that. But first, I want to thank our sponsor, which is HelloFresh. Oh my goodness, I love HelloFresh so very much. I have been a uh, a happy subscriber to HelloFresh for actual years. Uh, my family and I eat the HelloFresh meals. Every week and have done for years and years. Why? Why, you ask? Because it adds so much variety to our menu, the, the things that we eat during the week. It adds so much variety. I'm, I'm so thrilled to have not the same four meals <laughs> eaten in my house over and over again. And I get the joy of cooking it for my family, I have actually fallen in love with cooking because of HelloFresh. It cuts out all that stressful stuff, all the pain points that I don't like about cooking. I have a wide, cool, interesting menu to choose from. 
with step-by-step instructions that make it easy for me to cook. I can get meals on the table in 30 minutes or less. And I don't have to go to the grocery store to buy the ingredients. The ingredients, the fresh ingredients are delivered right to my door. So simple. And they're pre-measured. So I don't have extra that it's just going to go bad in the fridge. And then I'm going to feel bad when I throw it away. Pre-measured, great meals, twenty over 23 meals each week. I pick them out on my app. It's so delightful. Uh, weeks in advance, I get to go through and go, ooh, that. And then I forget. And then when it shows up, I go, ooh, that all over again. So much fun. I, I eat healthier because I know what's going in my food. It's not full of a bunch of garbage. Plus, you've got low-calorie, carb-smart, vegetarian, pescatarian options every single week. And no matter what you choose, every single recipe is packed with fresh produce sourced directly from farmers. You can save up to 40% from grocery bills instead of uh, shopping at your local store. And uh, like I say, you're not going to overbuy because you're only getting the pre-portioned ingredients exactly what you need. I'm telling you, I absolutely adore HelloFresh. It is integrated in part of my life and has been for literally years. I think probably more than five years because we did it before my son was born and we've been doing it ever since, like nonstop. It's truly improved my life. It can improve yours too. Go to HelloFresh.com slash 10DLC. That's 10DLC. Use the code 10DLC. And you'll get 10 free meals, including free shipping. 10 free meals. HelloFresh.com slash 10DLC. 10DLC. That's the uh, URL you go to and the promo code 10DLC for 10 free meals. That includes free shipping. Check it out. I think it'll improve your diet. It'll make you happier. It really has made me happier. I think it will probably do the same to you. Because you're just eating better and I'm providing for my family. It feels great. HelloFresh.com slash 10DLC for 10 free meals. All right. It is time to talk about the games that we have been playing. Let's start with the big one. Ubisoft's Newest entry in the Far Cry franchise. Giancarlo Esposito stars in. And by the way, evidently signed that fat contract that says, I'm in all the commercials. I'm in all the promotional. (laughs) I have built it around this guy. I mean, we've had famous people be in video games before. I feel like he was all in. (laughs) All in on (laughs) promo. Like it is his game. Uh, I just saw a commercial watching football tonight. I, I saw a commercial where he's like, yeah, I played a lot of bad guys, but I'm, I'm playing like the baddest bad guy I ever played in this video game. You got to play this video game. I'm like, yeah, yeah, nice work, Jim Carlo. Go for it. And then baby. he's like, also, while I'm here, notice the Peloton over my right shoulder. <laughs> also, yeah. this coffee yeah. I drink is an espresso. Also, and it's Get just it. like, you are doing everything. Get it. I'm not mad at it. I'm not mad at it. All right. So, Paul, you have been playing Far Cry 6. I yes. know that you guys discussed it in, in depth on uh, the Optional Podcast. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this newest installment of the franchise. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I actually really enjoy the Far Cry series. I, I kind of, um, I've talked about it a lot in terms of how I, you know, I know it's kind of played out to do food metaphors, but I, I've, I've always looked at, and especially this one, 
I've always looked at Far Cry like Taco Bell. Like I know what I'm getting into. I'm not above it. It's 2 a.m. I'm hungry. I'm trying to get something to eat real quick. Um, and it's going <laughs> to, you wish, know, it's. I wish Far Cry would bring back the Mexican pizza. I know. That's right? all I'm saying. I, I bring I like it back, Mexican Far Cry. Pizza. That was my jam. That was, that was my the best the, the thing meal on the that menu. I and they took it off the menu. Sorry. <laughs> it was so good. Yeah. Um, yeah. We, we got to start a campaign now. Uh, hashtag. I don't know. We'll, we'll figure it out. But um, <laughs> yeah, no. So I, I, I really like the Far Cry series. I mean, Far Cry for me has always been this really cool sandbox that that has, you know, a lot of in a lot of ways introduced a lot of interesting things on the systemic design side of things with, you know, things that catch fire and animal AI that can interact with the enemy AI and, you know, kind of set the template for, you know, big map with a ton of things to do and, you know, watch watch all these toys uh, play to interact with one another and and use you can sort of be the mastermind behind it. Um, which is, you know, that's a certain kind of itch that I find satisfying that I, I personally, you know, have a good time with. Um, having said that, uh, Far Cry 6, uh, technically not the sixth game in the series. There, there are way more Far Cry than, than, you know, than this, if you include things like Blood Dragon and Primal. Um, yeah. but, uh, but this one kind of, you know, once again, um, sets itself in a, in a pretty charged uh, setting that has a lot of, you know, history, uh, again, very charged history and, and uh, you know, um, kind of does things in a way that is, again, like Taco Bell, very much made for a specific kind of palate. You know, it's not it's not quite the real deal, Holyfield, but it's, it's you know, <laughs> it's 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 still tasty. It's still it's still a good time. Um, so I find myself conflicted playing it a lot because, you know, th- when the fun moments happen, they happen. But a part of me goes I've done this so many times before. I, I've 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 been here. I've literally done that. I, you know, I, I yeah. have uh, looked at this giant map full of icons that that tell me all of the fun things I can go do. And I had a similar experience with um, Assassin's Creed Valhalla a while back, where uh, I like the uh, Assassin's Creed series, but I do find myself kind of getting a little fatigued with the, with the templates, and you can and you can tell they're. You know, it, you know, in a lot of ways, oh, it's, I can, it's, it's Templars. Oh, that's right. Templars. Sorry, excuse me. That's I think you have right. the wrong no, Ubisoft nice. franchise, yeah. Christian. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, uh, uh, that it's it's a smart way to templatize these experiences and, and have different studios make them. So they, you know, sort of come out every year like a sports title or something. Um, Dude, because they come out credits for Far Cry 6 when it's like Ubisoft Montreal presents. <laughs> In association with Ubisoft Shanghai, <laughs> Ubisoft <laughs> K- Kiev, yeah, U- Ubis- Ubisoft, uh, the, the guy down the street. <laughs> U- U- it's like yeah, it's Ubisoft like just like everywhere. Yeah, yeah. I was like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, secretly, yeah. Not, secretly you that one doodle you <laughs> drew yeah. and threw away. It's in yeah. the game. Yeah. So you know, it, it's it's I it's admirable. It's admirable, but but it's also like. Um, you know, I, I don't want to get into the other the other stuff that's been happening there as a company, but it, it, it right. does. It's hard to not overlook that when I'm playing a game about like revolution and and, and rebellion and, and fighting for you know you know solidarity against the you know people abusing their power. But um, you know, it, as a game though, like I, again, I, I find myself conflicted because I, I still like the the stuff I have fun with, but at the same time. There are so many, especially now that it's like game of the year time, there are so many other games that are vying for my attention that that to me feels, you know, so much more interesting, at least from just like a, a technical perspective or even just like an artistic perspective. When you look at the, yeah. the, the 
the you know the, the art style and things like Sable or uh, you know they they just dropped DLC for Outer Wilds that I just started scratching at and like there's a lot of really cool things out right now that this just sort of feels like you know just more of the same and I get and you know in a lot of ways it's it's meant to be that it's meant to be that that one game that the, the you know out of the you know several limited games that someone might get per year that's going to last them until you know the spring or whatever so in that case it's another one of those games if you ever played if you ever played that you got a lot to do and and you know you'll have fun doing it but um you know outside of the you know, the uh the things involving like the tone and some of the details feeling pretty inauthentic to me um it, it's weird it's like a mixed bag but but i it's like it's a shame because it, I've never experienced these kinds of settings and details in a game that directly connect to my heritage. And, you know, um, it's a shame that it's like coming, it's coming through this game though, but it is, it is still, <laughs> yeah. it is still kind of cool to like, to, to, to be in this really cool firefight and then like salsa starts playing and then, you know, or yeah. like reggaeton's playing in the background and people are talking to each other in Spanish and, it, that's cool. I, I've I've never really had a lot of those kinds of opportunities to do that and, ex- and explore that sort of part of my my own culture. Um, but yeah, I don't know. But overall, I, I it's as a as something that you know is again trying to compete compete with a lot of other games are out that are right now. Um, it's just it might not I might not stick with it. Um, but who knows? I'm not sure. I, I you, you bring up a lot of really interesting points there. I mean, I think uh, I. At this point, I am fairly uninterested in the Far Cry franchise. And yet, I also found myself plunking down 15 bucks for a month of Ubisoft Connect Plus to give it a shot. I downloaded it, the 78 gigs against my data cap to download <laughs> it, give it a shot. Uh, 15 bucks for a month of plus. I, you, know, I, you know, whatever. I'm going to try it. For me, the the high point of this series was Far Cry 2. Like, that's the game in the series I have enjoyed the most out of any of them. I don't know if it's ever surpassed that for me. Um, But I'm atypical, right? I'm not not a huge fan of this franchise. I want to dig in more to what you're talking about for setting and culture and theme because it feels like at this point, that's really what Ubisoft is offering because as you point out i think accurately the fundamental experience of playing these games is unchanged right you're basically doing the same thing that you've done in every far cry game right mostly from like two and three on and three on certainly yeah three two was certainly yeah two was kind of the beginning of surviving yeah. yeah yeah and they've refined that that th- that template i think that that template is pretty good if you are into big open world first person shooting uh crafting you know having wacky crazy time of it uh i think i think it's they're pretty well put together structurally christian you know oh sorry i'll say it just without a lot of glaring bugs you know you talked about all the studios that make them but these games come out regularly you don't talk about the far cry jank the same way you yeah, do a lot of other true. big games, right? Like, yeah, compared to even it, Assassin's Creed, even the same, you know, the same <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it uh, works. It often works. But you know, Christian, you and I often in in talking about Far Cry, 
talk about this weird juxtaposition of of tones that don't seem to mesh. And I think this game is certainly not any more egregious than the last numbered Far Cry game, but it is equally as egregious. Uh, and I and I really want to talk about this with you, Paul, because I, I will give a, a brief example from the very beginning of the game, so as not to spoil anything. But the very beginning of the game is very dark. I mean, it is gritty, really. I mean, Giancarlo Esposito as this, I mean, straight out of a, an HBO hour-long drama. I mean, these are dark, well-realized characters that do heinous things in, as you said, Paul, a, a a realistic setting, even though it is not an actual place. It is a fictional place. It is certainly evocative of real places. Mm-hmm. And some very horrible things happen at the beginning of this game. Very horrible in the sense that we know these kinds of things happen in the world, right? And you see these, these awful, violent, you know, and, and, and revolution is evoked and, and cultural identity is evoked and all these things this game is treading on to create an emotional response in me. And it does, it works. I have an emotional response. It is hard to watch some of this stuff intentionally. So it is getting me in the feels, right? Yeah. And then, not two minutes later, I can whistle and command my alligator to attack people. Guapo. <laughs> yes, I've got a li- literally a buddy. I guess it's a crocodile, not an alligator, because crocodiles are vicious and alligators aren't. But regardless, it is a wacky sidekick pet that behaves <laughs> in a way that no realistic pet does. Certainly no alligator I've ever heard of that behaves that way. Uh, and yeah, I mean, that's a kind of a fun, cool video game mechanic of being able to sick your crocodile on bad guys. But it literally is butted up right against the tone that is very intentional and very powerful and very dark. So I'm curious, you know, I, I think you have a uh, a relationship to this material uh, that you know, I, I want to hear how that lands on you. Yeah. I mean, it, when this game was first revealed, I mean, uh, we, uh, over at Fanbyte, we, we were streaming, I think one of the, one of the conferences where they showed a, a brief scene from the game and, and it's, it's, it's right in the beginning, the one you're referring to where you see, you know, you see some pretty gnarly stuff and you see what the, the antagonist is like capable of. Right. Right. Um, and it is meant to evoke, these feelings about the, you know, where, where it is and, or what it's sort of inspired by. And, and, you know, as a, as a, as a descendant of, of, of Latin America, you know, it's, it's revolution and, and this, and these sort of tragic uh, stories are, are, you know, common and, and we, and they're, they're, we are descendants of that, right? Like our, our survival has always been tied to liberation and, and, you know, re- revolution and, and, um, you know, it's 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 expected of Far Cry to do something like this at this point. Like, I, I I'd be lying if I said I was surprised because we saw what they did with with five and mm-hmm. and the 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 sort of um, the you know where we were as a you know as a as a 
planet at that point, but especially as a country, yeah. it was definitely touching a lot of nerves. And and they were not afraid to lean into that. And 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 they made all these promises about where the story would go. And and you know, we we had all these kind of consultants. So when I see something like Far Cry Six on the horizon, you know, I'm I'm uh, you know. I'm not surprised. I'm, I'm, I might be a little annoyed. I might be a little annoyed at, at the way in which it just sort of uses these things as like set dressing and and doesn't really honor them in the way I would hope. You know, I, I think it's it's one thing to, you know, if if you want to make a silly story, uh, make a silly story. Like make a silly story, and and you know, you could still have the the stakes be high enough and make it. You know, it it would have to sort of fit neatly. I think the problem you're touching upon, Jeff, is that like these games are designed to do a specific thing. And that is go point your gun at something, shoot it, watch it blow up, watch like just create as much carnage as you can. And I think as a as a like as a um, system of like mechanisms within a game, you can only do so much with that. Mm-hmm. But it, what's interesting, though, is, is that tone um, that Far Cry has proven it could do in the past with something like blood dragon, which is probably my personal favorite um, where it was, you know, this sort of uh, dystopian eighties, very heavily inspired by like, you know, escape from New York and things like that, where they even had uh, the voice of the, uh, I forget. Was it someone from the Terminator? I think a voice, the, the, the protagonist in that game. Mm-hmm. Um so they, they've proven in the past that they, they can do this. Like they're, it's, they're capable of creating a false place that's not so tied to a, such a charged uh, history um, and not ruffle, the, not ruffle these feathers because you, I guess, I mean, you don't need to, but at the same time, I don't think they care. It's clear they don't care. Because, again, you're going to have the ads running with Giancarlo Esposito himself saying, hi, I'm Giancarlo Esposito. You remember Breaking Bad? Well, guess what? (laughs) That character's back. Bad Spanish and all. Um, And, (laughs) you know, it's it's unfortunate because I I don't have anything against Giancarlo Esposito. Like, again, go ahead, do your thing. Um, But when, you know, especially coming from Ubisoft, when, when we hear again and again, no, 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 it's not political. It's not political. We promise it's not political. No, no, it's not Cuba. Crucially, not Cuba. <laughs> um, and yeah. you know, you're you're seeing all these, you know. It, either way, um, again, I feel so conflicted about Far Cry Six because I'm not going to be. I'm not going to tell you like I'm above it. I'm not going to play it and whatever, whatever. Cause I, I still have fun with it. I'll be honest. I, again, it's, it's Taco Bell. It's satisfying. I'm going to get that crunch wrap again. It's 2am. Yeah. I'm hungry. Um, and I might want to play something like this, but um, it's yeah. just like, I don't know. It, it's a shame. It's a shame because of like, you see glimpses of greatness when you're going through these cities that kind of look like Havana or whatever. And, or, uh, you know, or you're, and you're hearing the music and the, the, the sounds of, of, a, a beautiful culture and you know then a little wiener dog is running you yeah. know and it's, it's just like yeah. it's a weird mashup of of those different tones as this series has always been and totally. or not always but in recent iterations has been and um it continues to not really work for me it's it it's trying to have its cake and eat it too yeah and you describe it as taco bell and i think that's true like you know, there are moments where you can sort of black out and wake up and think you're playing Just Cause. You know, it's got it's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's basically Just Cause in first person perspective, but also it wants to be 
important and impactful and uh you know and 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 move you and really take you to a place emotionally but also you want to have a jetpack and shoot off a, a fireworks gun go for that you know it's yeah I, I don't know how it's it's difficult for me to marry those those tones and i and i don't i don't i agree with you i don't think the developers particularly care that those don't work too well i think they put the onus on the player to be like, well, what do you want out of it? You know, what do you right, want? Out right. of it? You want to just have a goofy fun time? Well, then you can, if you want to have a serious time, well, it's there too. And I just don't think that's adequate. I don't think that that is enough to rectify the tonal issue for me. Um, totally. Yeah. But it is, uh, it, it's quite a game. It's quite a game. I mean, it's, it's, it, there's a lot to it it's just massive world. And it's, you know, it, there are these moments where I'm like, wow, that's really well done. That's a really, that piece of narrative delivery is excellent. But also like, am I supposed to still care when I'm going around doing this wacky, goofy stuff? I don't know. Uh, yeah. The disconnect is real with the Far Cry games for sure. Yeah. But I also don't know if I'm the, you know, I, we are the only ones that feel like, is the, these are mainstream successes. These games, the people just sort of not, care about that i because the game is really trying to give you you know you say it's like it's taco bell but also taco bell thinks it's doctors without borders for a little while you know it's like <laughs> we're delivering meals to sarajevo it could be a taco bell know? cantina you know it could be a nice <laughs> taco, taco bell cantina in, in downtown it could be real yeah. nice you know <laughs> right um anyway. yeah it's it's yeah it's, it's it's a shame it's a shame to, for me especially because I don't know when I'm going to have those sort of really cool bombastic action games in a Latin American setting right. that looks and sounds just good. And, and, you know, cause on a technical level, it's a, it's, it's a Marvel, yeah. but you know, it, sometimes you need to, you need to do a little bit more uh, than that. All right. Uh, what else is on your playlist, Paul? So um, I have been playing, I can go through these pretty quickly, but uh, the Battlefield 2042 open beta just happened. It actually just yeah. ended uh, this weekend, but um, I am a big Battlefield person. It's it's also interesting too, because this, uh, a couple weeks ago, we also had the Halo Infinite test flight. And I feel like well, we talked a little bit about it on the optional, but I feel like game, especially for like shooters are starting to um, remember that we, that they, they had something going a while back that they're, that they're returning to that, that I've missed so dearly in, in the era of the battle, uh, you know, the battle Royale and, you know, the countless call of duties. And, and again, two battlefields that just kind of didn't do it for me because, it, you know, for a variety of other reasons, but, um, in battlefield 2042's case, it seems to be going back to, um, a style of battlefield that I've missed since three, and I've like never really quite gotten again. And I hope it, it, it is more of that because uh, when Battlefield is firing on all cylinders and, and now it's fire, firing on more cylinders because on, on you know, Series X, which is where I played it, uh, it supports up to 128 players um, in a single room. So these, these are bigger maps with way more people on them and, and different, you know, vehicles are back. Uh, you know, it's, it's sort of in the future now. So they're, they're EVs, electric vehicles. And there's a, you know, it's just, it's classic battlefield cooperative, you know, multiplayer, you know, competitive matches where you're competing for a piece of the map and you'd go about doing that by way of different classes that have different abilities. Um, and, you know, if you happen to die, you can respawn immediately, which is, uh, this kind of, this cool concept. I don't know if, I don't know if the kids nowadays have heard of it, but, uh, <laughs> it's not, it's not like, um, 
you know, it's not like in a battle royale where uh, you spend, uh, you know, however long finding things and then die in the first encounter and have to do that all over again. And, um, you know, I, I like those experiences too, but it is nice that we're starting to get some more choices again in terms of like those, those games you could play with your buddies and hop on a call and just like spend a bunch of time, uh, you know, just experimenting and being silly because that's what I talk about. Like some of that systemic stuff I was talking about earlier and with, with Far Cry Battlefield has always been known for those only in Battlefield moments where, you know, you see that clip. Uh, they sometimes even feature them in, in their advertising because they're just, you know, sometimes they can't recreate them. So they have to just pull it from whoever captured it or streamed it. Um, and it's nice. It's nice to to get that kind of style of game again, because Battlefield 3 to me was like the, the pinnacle of Battlefield. And I, I'm again, I, I like Battlefield Bad Company 2 and all those other games as well. But um it's it's just nice. It's nice to get this kind of game again, where I don't have to be perfect when I'm playing these first person shooters. I can be the the kind of you know the weirdo just dropping mines in front of a base or whatever. Or I can I, there's there's always something for me to do, um, and I can be a I can be a team player, uh, which is nice. Which is it's it's also kind of nice to just you know contribute in a way like that that doesn't require me to be the you know the star you know or the MVP every time. Yeah. Yeah, um, this is another game that's just sort of not my jam at all. But Christian, were you? Did you participate in the in the beta for twenty forty two? Yeah, I played a good amount of twenty forty two, and then I, since I wasn't on last week, I, I could also talk a little bit about Big Team Battle on the Halo Infinite flight. To me, yeah. they struck a similar chord for me. Like a couple of weeks ago, I, I really praised Halo Infinite and the test flight and the Slayer, like the smaller stuff they had. Slayer, point control, capture the flag, but that 4v4 classic Halo. And then this past one, it's over now, but this past one was Big Team Battle, and then Battlefield 2042. And for me, Paul, I think I'm on the other side of the coin than you. For me, both of these experiences were misses versus Battle Royales that also, for me, capture that spectacle only in game moment you know it's different than battlefield it's not a rocket launcher onto a plane but it's a wacky build glider you know for Fortnite, rocket launch off whatever summoning a boar that then comes over and takes somebody and you're like that's clearly Fortnite because i was also marshmallow while i was doing it you know <laughs> like the amount of stuff right. that's like only in Fortnite, you can have those really fun emergent moments and for me big team battle uh, Halo Infinite Big Team Battle and Battlefield 2042, this um, beta, felt unorganized in a way where specifically for Battlefield, the, it was, um, what do they call it? Not control, but it's that mode. Conquest. Where, conquest, thank you. Yeah. Your your team's trying to have access points and have the bulk of the bodies in the points. So there's always that push and pull because no one, you can't have them all, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. that's what you need to do to win. And the map felt so grand um, and the the points kind of spread out among it that I spent a lot of my time in traversal and not mm. in these engaging firefight moments. And because it was so big when I was in those engaging moments and I'm not anywhere near a goat tier FPS player, but when I was in those moments, they were over so quickly. And then I was back in this, lull where for me in a battle royale i'm we talked about it 
what I don't know, maybe three years ago, Jeff, like the fun of that fun loop of a battle royale where you're always involved. You're always doing something because when the fun stops, you start a new game. Right. And for me in, in Battlefield, it got to a point where we weren't winning. We weren't gonna win. And I still have how long? Like 25 minutes, you know, of <laughs> yeah, this. Those matches can be brutal for sure. Of this mode that then I felt like it became everybody was stunt stunting. Like it was like, well, let's all create my only in battlefield moment. <laughs> and like helicopters are going straight up and you're just like, oh, oh, okay. And so I, I lost the fun in, in it. Um, beautiful. Uh, I think it played pretty well there. I had a few issues that I feel like tightening will likely fix. I don't think battlefield 2042 comes out perfect. Um, but I, I think it's close enough that it's, it's fun. And then in halo infinite big team battle, it was the same way. I perhaps my own misgivings as a player, I just couldn't clock everybody. And so like, I, and I even played with friends. I played with three friends and so we were in our threesome, but it's still, I forget what big team battle is, still a lot. So even the three of us, none of us were the skill level to be like, we're holding down A, don't worry, <laughs> yeah, yeah. we got this. You know, it was like, <laughs> we'd all kind of go together and then get picked off and then we wouldn't see somebody's over. And it's just like, well, oh, crap, this isn't fun. I was stuck in the loop of dying. And, mm. and never, and, and so rarely having those engaging moments. So sort of, in, oh, I don't know, death loop. Ooh, good game. Yes. <laughs> you might've said I was constantly knocking at death's door. Um, <laughs> and versus the Halo Infinite, the more traditional smaller scale map slayers, I was able to get into that Halo. I called it a dance before of like your shield gets down, you dwell all the way, you come back and you pivot in this. And I just never had that rhythm in big team mm. battle. In the same in Battlefield, I was never able to get, there was, oh man, when it was fun, I totally agree, Paul. Like there were moments where I was like, this is, you know, I'm up till three in the morning chasing yep. this high. But those moments just felt far between because of all the other things of, um, I guess maybe the map was just too big. That might be it. But it, it, it really left me, it really left me a little disappointed, unfortunately, uh, specifically Battlefield. Yeah, I had I had that little uh, that pain period going jumping back into something like Battlefield because I I haven't played something like this in a while personally, but I think once I found a good squad and once I was able to like communicate with them and and just get into a rhythm, I think yeah, Battlefield is one of those games a lot like a lot of battle royales where it's really dependent on who you're playing with mm. um, because that can really make or break the experience. But Battlefield is a, yeah, I, I get that it, it's it's a lot to take in like you know literally it's it, there's a, a huge map there's a you know there's a helicopter fighting a tank and the rocket ships taking off there's a lot going on i get it but um yeah i, I feel like even just like the, the the small improvements we've got a chance to see so far too like the uh, attachments that you can sort of change on the fly yeah, awesome. are like yeah uh, like i can't go back i can't go back to a game that doesn't let me do that um you know while i'm running around um, and it seems like Battlefield is starting to lean into that silliness again in a good way for me that that yeah. makes me excited. Like there's a character with a grappling hook and, you know, it's just starting to really go for it. And again, kind of um, kind of like how I mentioned with Halo, it's it's just nice to see a game where they're kind of going back to basics and, and you know, um, leaning into what worked and hopefully building upon that and like modernizing a lot of those pain points. But um no, I get that. I get that. It can be it can be tough. Well, you know, 
I'll, I'll play with you sometime. You know, I'll, I'll help you out. I'll hold down <laughs> B or whatever. You know, I got he, you. he needs all the help he can Thank get. You. <laughs> yeah. It is true. And then uh, someone in the chat said, uh, having kids in time, Battlefield is out. Desert Buckeye. I, I do wonder how much, I mean, for me as an old, Battlefield had that nostalgic time in my life when I did. I, it would be three in the morning and I wouldn't go, oh my gosh, it's three in the, what did I, I'd be like, yeah, four more hours, everybody game, let's keep going. And yeah. I was reminded about how long a Battlefield match could be. <laughs> in this oh yeah, oh yeah. Paul, you said you uh, also have been playing a little Tetris effect on Switch, right? Yeah, yeah. So I have been uh, brazing Tetris effect and, and, and talking about it everywhere since 2018. So good. Um, I actually had a, a really cool interview I did over at Kotaku, a video interview I did with uh, Mizuguchi and, and uh, it was, it was great. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I love Tetris effect. I mean, for those who don't know what Tetris effect is, it's just Tetris meets res meets luminous meets, you know, just poetry and music and synesthesia. Um, it is a beautiful um, interpretation of what, you know, it's talking about taking a classic formula and evolving it. Tetris, I think to me is, is my favorite game of all time. I'm, I am a Tetris master through and through. I love Tetris. Um, and I, you know, I think Tetris in its best form is always going to be portable. And we now have, in my opinion, the best version of Tetris on the go um, is like, you know, there, there goes any productivity i had uh, or <laughs> thought i was going to have in the next few weeks because I mean, um the switch yeah. is god tier tetris machine now poyo poyo 2 yep tetris 99 yep and tetris effect i mean it is the those are the best versions and, and all three respect the franchise in totally. a way that not every version of tetris does or has done and to have all three of those um portable oh yeah, but Paul, have you played Tetris Effect in VR? I have. I have. I mean, yeah, yeah. It's I have. Better, right? Well, better yeah, than the I mean, Switch, well, right? Well, so here's the thing. T- Tetris Effect in particular, I feel like, is such an interesting um, example of a game that really takes advantage of whatever platform it's on. And it, it kind of like introduces new life to it whenever it goes on to a new platform. So like when it, when it first launched, I remember the first time playing it in, in even PSVR, at a at a early look at, it, at an event in, here in New York City, and the first time I did a Tetris, and I was surrounded by like you know whales and stuff, and, and all this kind of you know all these yeah. kind of fish, I was just like, oh my god, I, I got chills. I just got chills even just re- remembering it. And um and then I I remember asking like, so it's coming to PC though, right? Like I'm trying to play this on my PC though, uh, and you know they were very like secretive about it. But even when it came out on Xbox, it was on Game Pass and it introduced multiplayer stuff. Like it's it, and but. So yeah, I agree. I think the VR version on PC is like ha- like hands down the yeah most like the ultimate experience. And the game, but the ha- PC Game Pass version does support VR headsets through Steam VR. Uh, oh, that's that's awesome. Yes, and I, I that's played it that way, and it is awesome. Yeah, yeah, it it is it is something else. Um, but yeah, ha- like I mean, I'm about to do a little bit of traveling soon, um, and being able to put some really good headphones on and, and now that the switch allows bluetooth headphones apparently they were just like <laughs> oh yeah we got bluetooth we, we flipped the switch um you know that's just like perfect timing who, who would have thunk it yeah and the crazy thing about tetris effect is it takes a game that is inherently stressful to me you know like the the tension of of tetris the 
increasing ramp up of ten- tension in Tetris is a thing. And, and a thing that I, you know, is, is kind of the draw of the game is that it's getting faster and faster and faster. Somehow it took that and made it into a game that is serene and meditative yeah. and calming to me. Even as things get faster and crazier in Tetris Effect, especially when I'm playing in VR, I've, it's a calming game to me. I find it very soothing. Yeah, and, and they and they figured out a way to treat it like it's a composition of music, which makes yeah. so much sense coming from the Enhanced team when they have you know such an incredible studio like Hydelic making the music for this for this game in particular, um, where they they're not. It's not just like a it's not a continuous progression of, of speed when it comes to how fast the, the, you know, the Tetris blocks fall, it, it, it changes. It's like, if it, it feels like, like a, you know, it, it speeds up, it slows down. And if it, if it gets to be a little bit too much, you always have zone. You can learn how to kind of clear up the board and, and find your way out, dig yourself, dig yourself out of a bad situation. So it, you know, a, a lot like Christian said, in terms of the other Tetris games that are available on switch, um, Tetris Effect really, really respects the formula, but also like try some new things. And again, I'm a big fan of that. Going back to the Pokemon stuff, it, it always excites me to see them find ways to build on a formula that is, in my opinion, already pure and perfect enough. But it could st- you could still kind of ring out some interesting ideas if you if you got the the right hands behind it. Yeah, there's an old interview with them um, where they talk about it, like the respect they have as the developers working on this game and the care they put into it, it wasn't just some quick cash grab, like, Hey, it's luminous. We, but now give us this license. Like they really wanted to make something special here that, and I forget what I'm going to get the time wrong, but it was something like we spent three years just working on what is Tetris, not what is our game of Tetris? Like what is Tetris fundamentally understanding that core gameplay loop to then pause, you mentioned to add this layer on top of it. it I mean, it, it transcends um, and, and you can tell they put in that care and time to understand the franchise and add the music in a way to it that fundamentally alter, alters that play experience. I haven't played it on Switch yet and I, I'm not getting an OLED Switch, but Jeff, in terms of like VR handheld OLED, like in a hammock somewhere oh. might be my... <laughs> That's aspirational. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, uh, that's Tetris Effect, which is available on Switch. You know, just don't try to play it with the disconnected Joy-Cons. <laughs> uh, all right, Christian. You've been very patient, and I appreciate that. Uh, I will now step aside and allow you to talk about Metroid Dread for, I don't know, how long should we set the clock for? <laughs> Eat uh, up the timer. I know you've been very, very patient, and and I appreciate that. Metroid Dread, Christian Spicer, go. You, you know those uh, Chris Farley SNLs? Yeah, that's me in Metroid Dread. I know. It's yeah. like there's that there's that you know there's that one part, and then you do that thing. That's awesome. It's, that's so awesome. <laughs> How did you do that? Like you guys, okay, you're, you're the same team who made the 3DS game, and that was cool because it's reimagining of like an original. But then you do it on now it's on switch it's awesome you know it is so metroid dread if if folks don't know i mean it is a 19 year waiting sequel to the 2d metroids that came before it it is in it it finishes that story it's not metroid prime uh related though i mean the lore obviously touches into those games but this is a continuation of the 2d metroids that that people have been playing and there hasn't been a new one 
in that franchise in, in 19 years. Remember four weeks ago when I was like, if the year ended now, Deathloop is hands down my game of the year. Well, if the year ended now, my friends, um, Metroid Dread is my game of the year. And I have not rolled credits on Metroid Dread yet. I've heard the end boss fight is quite a doozy. Um, we got a new dog, which has zapped some of my video gaming time. But also a doozy. Also a doozy. <laughs> uh, the end boss of uh, potty training a dog. Yeah, also. she leaves little <laughs> doozies in your house all over the place. <laughs> my, I was like, why is my Joy-Con drifting? And I see her running with the Joy-Con. I'm like, oh, fair, <laughs> fair, 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 fair. Um, but it, it, it's phenomenal. It is such, talking about um, enhancing and, and, and the care they brought to Tetris, the care brought to the Metroid 2D franchise here and elevating it as a game that is built on 3D assets and kind of the creativity that they're able to do in the moments you're able to have because the world is rendered in that way are, they don't fundamentally alter the formula, but they show a care and reverence for it that plays on fans' emotions in such a strong and powerful way. There are moments where you slide and it goes into Samus's visor and you see that first person perspective that's very evocative of Prime. You have these moments where she scans the surroundings and, and takes in what's next and it then it pulls you back out. And there are moments kind of like in God of War 3, I think, did it really well, where Kratos is crawling up you know, one of the Titans and it zooms really far back and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to kill a God, you know, like this moment. And in Metroid Dread, you have these moments where it pulls back and you see the surrounding kind of hellscape planet that you found yourself in where your only objective is at some points is just survive. Like Samus, we know we got called here. This thing happened. I think this was a rope of dope. You you just got to survive, kid. You got to get out of this. And you see the 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 scale of the world in which you're exploring and you have these moments where you're just this little you know samus running across a, a, a pipe and then you have moments where it pulls you in and, and she's almost you know as i remember going back and playing super metroid now the sprite's not quite that big but it feels almost as if that super metroid style of, of composition of samus fills the screen and what's under the next screen what's going to happen and those moments where the um the dread, the Emmy are, are chasing you and you have to go through a door, but you're not quite sure what's on the other side, but you don't want to use your cloak because once you use it, if you deactivate it, you can't reactivate it until it fully recharges, even though you didn't use your full charge. And there's this wonderful cat and mouse moments that are just really, really phenomenal. And then Jeff, we talked about, you know, pre-release the idea of always being pursued and the way that Metroid dread does this, uh, you know, resident evil, technique right of the nemesis following you it's limited to certain clearly marked areas of the map and you're told very on hey samus just survive you Mm -hmm. can't you just just survive very early on you're saying very early on in the game when when you get into these first segment it's like very on yeah very early on yeah very early on you're kind of told like in these moments you just need to live this thing will take you down you just got to find your way out and metroid has never been that right it kind of you're like but there's a part of the map up there i have let me just go up there i'm far enough oh dead Ooh, ooh, got me and it's this real nice push and pull of that desire to explore slash unlock 
or gain a power up and and chicken, you know, playing chicken with this lethal enemy that's chasing you that you think, oh, I can go this way, but you haven't explored over there. So it's a dead end. Well, what's my out? If the enemy comes over and chases me down, how do I get out? And this feeling None of, of that sounds fun to me. I, oh, I appreciate that it is, but I, boy, on paper or as described, does not sound fun. What's I think really fun about it is that it is not the bulk of the game. Yeah. So it's these small moments with frequent checkpointing. The right. the response not as quick as I'd like it to be. It's not Celeste. You're not like right back in, but you're not ten hours away in a map. Right. There's often frequent saves, and even in the, a lot of these moments. Uh, where you're being pursued, it even checkpoints you more frequent than your last save station. So that's what makes it exciting is that you go into it and you know your body gets tense and you're like, oh, this is what it's going to be. It's, it, I mean, Celeste had those moments also where you were being pursued and that wasn't the bulk of the game. But when those things happened and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm doing it. I am <laughs> playing Mozart right now and I've never <laughs> learned Mozart. And the, game the training wheels are off. Yeah. Yeah. And the game's like, you learned it the, the last four hours of the game. And you're like, you're right. Oh my. And then you start overthinking it and then you die. But <laughs> those those <laughs> moments are just, in my opinion, truly, truly brilliant. And I'll stop after this. I think what is really fascinating about this game is the way Metroid Dread plays on what I have to think to some extent was a limitation of inputs on old Metroids. But the idea of moving and shooting and how if you want precision control, you sacrifice movement. I mean, a lot of first-person shooters do it, right? You aim down the sights, you're slower. You can fire from the hip, but you're messier. In Metroid, to pull up to aim anywhere, you, you stop. Samus stops dead on her tracks, and you have to hit certain aims. You have things coming at you with you know, mini bullet hell moments, but then you also need to evade. So now you're going somewhere else what it does with the complexity of the control is something that most nintendo games don't touch you know you're sliding diving going invisible changing to missiles power shot roll going into your bomb going into your morph ball launching bombs up and you're doing all of these things in enemy encounters and what the team brought new to this metroidvania is it's not pixels because it's 3d but like pixel perfect combat which I think is really interesting because it would have been so easy, I think, for them to make um, Hollow Knight gets thrown out a lot, but something that is just bigger or grander and more yeah. backtracky and more unlock this and now where do I go and do this? And it's not that. It's still a nine-hour game, but it's really honed in on the mechanic they introduced on um, the 3DS game, which I'm forgetting, Samus Returns, the remake, whatever its name is, but the parry and then your combat abilities. And I... I really respect that. Again, I think it's the team showing a confidence in what a Metroid game is and can be and doing that and not trying to do what all the other Metroidvanias have done over the years. It certainly takes some inspirations from those things, but it is a game that feels very much like a Metroid game and it brings heightened combat to it in a way that I never expected, but still is Metroid combat. It's not um, Guacamelee, you know, style yeah. combat. It still has that trade-off of mobility and fire type, weapon types and unlocks. And it's just beautiful. The animations, yeah, I could gush forever. We'll see how frustrated I get on the last boss. Um, but it's just 
just an absolute delight. And this is a game that I started the year not knowing existed, which I think makes it even more <laughs> wild, more of a delight. Like this came out, got announced and came out and here it is. And it's awesome. Metroid awesome. Dread available for your switch. What else is on your playlist, Christian? Uh, the other thing on my playlist, I guess I'll talk about quickly is, uh, cause I wasn't here last week is hot wheels unleashed. Yeah. Paul, I'm seeing your thumbs up. Yes. It is an arcade racer, um, you know, micro machines esque where you are a hot wheel in the, in the bigger world of like a game room and then the hot wheel track. Yeah. You're, up you're a skate park. You're the size of a, of an actual hot wheel toy in, in these locations. Yeah. It's like somebody yes. set up a track in, in the real world. Yes, and it is a wonderful arcade drift racer. This is not Forza. It is not Gran Turismo. It is, I don't even think you have brake. I think it's just drift. <laughs> like you enter a corner and it's just your Hot Wheels drifting. And it is photorealistic representation. I'm playing on Series X. Um, photorealistic representations of these little Hot Wheel cars. And just awesome. The AI, I think, my, so I, I love it. I love it. It's not a $60 game. I think it was 40 for the base game, I yeah. think. You can spend up to like 80 bucks oh. on this thing. Yeah, you can spend a lot. The base game, I think, is 40 My My nits, um, so it's a high recommend Hot Wheels Unleashed. My nits are the AI gets hard in an annoying way as you scale up yeah. the difficulty. It's like rubber bandy. Like you make one mistake and it, you're done so. And then my other nit... Um, and Paul, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it too, is, um, it's a loot box system of car unlock. It's randomized loot boxes and you get a lot of, let me rephrase. I get a lot of dupes. <laughs> no, I got them too. I got them too. <laughs> <laughs> and you're supposed to like dismantle for then in-game currency to then get another blind box to unlock. But while there isn't the, Hey, just give us 10 bucks and we'll do this thing. There is a lot of paid stuff in there it shows cars in your inventory that you don't have yet yeah like a little shopping cart on that's the a icon. hard to, to explain to a five-year-old oh my yes. god why do i have yeah, bone shaker point. when i don't have bone shaker i can't why let's just play as bone shaker daddy uh yes we don't you don't have that one yet that's an advertisement for purchasing a bone shaker yes and so it is not the worst example of the what i would call unfairly but i would call the mobile game gotcha mechanic but it leans into it heavily enough that I find it a little repugnant. The game itself, I love. I hate the grind for, well, I don't know, kids. I don't have kit yet. When am I going to get kit? I have to do this race a hundred more times, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's frustrating. I, I would like for them to try to figure that out because if they could fix that part, I think that would sort of put this game in the same realm in a weird way as something like Fortnite, it's, it's kind of made for something like that where with, with collaborations with the, you know, yes. who knows the, the amount of licenses they get to yeah. there's stuff in here. That's like, Oh cool. It's a DeLorean or, you know, there, there are really cool uh, licensed cars in this game that, that, you know, they, they, and they look so beautiful. Like, like Christian so said good. earlier, like the effects that happen on the cars when, when they collide into the barriers or into each other, the little scratches, the, the you know, the plastic, the way the paint kind of scratches off. All, like, everything about this game is surprising for a game, you know, with the Hot Wheels branding on it. Because I, I, I honestly, when I first heard about it, I, I didn't expect this sort of caliber of racing game. Um, 
But the developers that made the MotoGP games, they have like a really high, uh-huh. you know, pedigree. They have a really great pedigree when it comes to, you know, the, the motorsport games. Um, so it's no wonder that this game, you know, plays well. It has really cool track effects. There are like boosts and, you know, weird little spiders that shoot webs onto the track that you can get stuck on. And, uh, you know, the the levels are there's loops up obviously and ramps and it's just it's great i mean it's it's just wonderful to have a really fun arcade racer um back in you know my rotation because you know there there's also cruising blast is another great one if, yeah. you, if you miss that one so it's it's cool it's like a return of the of, of a genre that i love so much and you know with forza around the corner it's like man we're gonna be spoiled with so many great racing games yeah i i'm played this with my five-year-old uh, who's super into hot wheels and uh, we put it on the easiest difficulty setting and, you know, him playing and it's, you know, uh, I have some of those same uh, issues with it that, you know, he couldn't just get what he wanted. He didn't just, couldn't just race the cars he wanted. Uh, even in the sort of build a track mode, all the, I mean, you start to build a track mode at the beginning of this game and you've got flat, straight track, go crazy. <laughs> And have you fun. can see all the awesome loop-de-loops and rad stuff. You don't have any of that stuff yet. Uh, it's all unlocked. And it's like, okay, well, it's hard to explain that to a five-year-old that you don't have that yet. And I mean, I guess it, this isn't really a uh, a game geared toward five-year-olds, but it's the freaking Hot Wheels license. It, it kind of is. I mean, yeah, it, yeah. It, yeah. I mean, that's, it's you know, five, five-year-olds play Hot Wheels. It's... uh so yeah, I mean, I, I was a little disappointed with it, frankly. Um, also, I don't, are you guys playing on PlayStation Five or what? What are you playing? Uh, Series X. I'm on Series X. Series X. Yeah, I got it for PlayStation Four because I didn't, you know, I wanted to set it up on a console that wasn't in Daddy's office. <laughs> so I pulled out the my old uh, PS4 Pro and uh, downloaded it on that on for PlayStation Four, and uh, works worked out great, but. Wow, I got used to there not being load times real fast, let me tell you. Oh, the load times in this game are brutal on PlayStation 4. I mean, oh. I guess I'm just spoiled now with new-gen uh, consoles and, and on my PC because uh, woof, woof, those load times are, are rough. Anyway. That's interesting. Yeah, ser- I play on Series X, and then I have a Series S that is like the main family living console, yeah. and it zips on those. I will say... Back to Metroid Dread quickly. <laughs> it, 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 it stinks that I love it because I real I'm I'm a Metroid. St- I love it, right? Like it's a very good game. I love Metroid. I have several Samus figurines on my shelf. I love Metroid, um, and I realize that's the only reason I'm saying this. But it definitely has load times. But it's like Mass Effect elevators, and I find myself like I'm like oh so charming. I wish more games had <laughs> these. A, and it's like you're, you're such on a, a subway. Homer. <laughs> so novel, totally. Samus is like confidently looking at her gun. Like we've been through a lot of stuff together. Gun, the guns like we, and I'm like, ah, I could watch this all day. Samus. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You love it for its faults. I love it. Yeah. That's great. You're into it. Um, all right. Well, that is hot wheels unleashed and also Metroid dread again. (laughs) Um, I want to talk. I mean, I, I, I've been playing far cry six, uh, I am. I got an early copy uh, um, provided to me f- uh, for Back for Blood, which I've been playing a uh, considerable amount of. 
it's interesting all these you know all these first person shooters are dropping at the end of the year and a lot of them multiplayer focused this is my brand of multiplayer i, I enjoy the left for dead back for blood uh premise i i like a good co-op I, I have fun with these games i jump right in i'm having fun it's fun it's just instantly fun uh and you know i like i like a destiny i like a i like a game where i can sort of just get on and kind of check out mentally a little bit you just it's it's more of like you're on autopilot you're doing the fun thing you're hanging out you're having a good time these games are great for that i wish back for blood i mean i totally understand what it is and i totally understand that it's a left for dead game a spiritual successor but also I feel like the least interesting setting for this game is zombies. <laughs> it's just the least interesting way I could be doing this. And all of the variety of zombies are just not interesting. Oh, there's the explody zombie and there's the zombie mm. that throws stuff at you. And there's the zombie that's 20 feet tall. And there's the zombie that, you know, has pustules that pop. And it's like, okay, yeah. Yes, tried and true, easy to get right, I guess. You know, I, I, I know what I'm getting. Very visually, uh, uh, um, I, I see a zombie. I know exactly how it's going to behave. Like, it's all very clear, right? But also, I wish this game was trying to blaze a bit more of a new trail than it is. Having said that, it's good fun. Easy to recommend, uh, you know, if you, especially if you have some friends that are going to jump on with you. I'm trying to, I'm hoping some some of my friends will want to play some Back for Blood because I think it's just an easy, day one good game fun. pass, right? Right. Or, I mean, I say day it, one. It's been out for people that game pass. bought it early, but a day wide release and one, PC game, uh, game pass, pass as well. So you know, it's it's like you know, lots of and cross play between those two. So that's cool. Stuff. Um, I mean, I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it. I don't think there's anything. I mean, I could go into all of the card mechanic and all that stuff. And it's all, I think those are novel and kind of well-implemented tweaks to the structure, but it's the structure. It's the same formula. It's, it's left for dead, which is fun. It's fun. Um, the game, the two games I do want to talk about a lot. I mean, I talked about Far Cry 6, but there's two games uh, I really want to talk about that are indie games that are really in my wheelhouse. Turn-based strategy games, card-based. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is my, my kind of thing. The first is Across the Obelisk, which again has been out for a while, but there is a listener to this podcast who goes by Lynx who uh, emailed me months ago saying, you got to play Across the Obelisk. You're going to love it. I, I tested the, I, I think I tested the game out in a demo form at some point. Anyway. I, I liked it, but I wasn't in love with it. Uh, but Lynx is like, I, you know, I want you to play this so badly that I'm going to buy a copy for you. So he literally sent me a copy on Steam. Nice. Or sent me a game pa- a code, whatever. He sent me, he, he purchased it for me, which is very... So I felt like, well, now I got to play it. And the thing that's cool about Across the Albus, it's a lot like a, a lot of games I love, like Gordian Quest and, you know, all these... You know, it's basically... Um, slay the spire but with more story elements and i love that i mean that those are the, the kinds of games i love you're you know you have classes of characters you have a team of characters all with different classes meaning they have decks of cards that are themed around their class and you play those cards 
and attack bad guys. And it's a roguelite. So you're, you know, you're going, going as far as you can, beating as many enemies as you can, as far up the, you know, Slay the Spire style pathway as you can. You have choices to make along the way, story choices and branching pathway choices. Very much the kind of game I like. V- great art style. I mean, I talk about these games all, all the time because I play tons of them because I love these kinds of games. But what sets across the obelisk apart, and which is one of the reasons Lynx wanted me to play it so badly, is that I believe it's the first one of these, or at least the first one I've played, that is a fully co-op experience. So you've got a party of adventurers of different classes, wizard and rogue and, you know, fighter tank. And in these games, the way you play these games is you have these different decks and each of them has a turn and you have your, you know, your track that shows you which characters are go in which order. And so you're planning your attacks based on how an enemy is going to go before the wizard goes. And I'm going to try to you know disrupt that first. All that stuff is fun. It's fun. But in this case, and across the obelisk, if you want to play with more than one person, you div- it divvies up the members of the party. So for example, you've got four members of the party. You can play with up to four people. So I played with Lynx, the two of us. So each of us controlled two members of the party. You can, if you play four people, each person controls one member of the party. And it's fun. It's super fun to play that way. It's you're hanging out, you're selecting cards as uh, another as another player is selecting their cards. You're watching them select their cards. You get to see their hand come up. I think there probably could be a more elegant way to handle that to allow me not to just have to wait there until the person I'm playing with selects their cards. If it allowed me to sort of inspect my deck or plan my moves in some way while their turn is going. But ultimately, watching them pick their cards is interesting, too, because you kind of see what's in their deck and what they're not choosing. And it just works. It just works. You're playing together. And it's got all the trappings of these kinds of games where you, you know, you can empower cards and and spend in-game currencies. And, you know, you earn things by defeating enemies. And those things you can turn into making more powerful cards or removing cards from your deck that are weaker and all that stuff that these games have. It has, but it allows you to play cooperatively which I just don't think I've ever seen one of these kinds of games do, which makes Across the Obelisk a big recommend from me if you've got somebody else that's into these kinds of games and you want to play hanging out with each other because it was great fun to do so. I need a... uh, Go ahead, Paul. I was going to say, I just have a quick question. As someone who's usually pretty intimidated by card games like this, is this this like if you're playing this with someone else, because that sounds enticing to me, um, like I have buddies who are super into this kind of stuff. Is it like friendly to newcomers? Oh, well, one of the best things about it, and, and I appreciate you bringing that up because I, I neglected to mention this. One of the best things about it is that it's, it really makes having a, you know, a Sherpa for this kind of thing easy and fun. For example, Lynx and I got on and played and he had played a whole bunch of the game. He was already super into it. And he had a high level healer character. And so we, I I only had level one characters because I'd never played before. So we had, you know, one super low level character that he was playing, my two low level characters I was playing, and then a high level healer that just kept everybody up way longer than we normally would. And it worked out great because 
I could kind of learn and not, you know, in this sort of rogue light fashion where you're destined to have a bunch of runs where you're not going very far as you're powering up over time. We were able to sort of get deeper into the game on our first run because our healer was OP and able to sort of, you know, uh, keep us alive longer. So in that sense, like I, if you have friends that are into these kinds of games, especially if they're already playing it, but even if they're not like, it's cool that you're able to collaborate and work together. And, you know, people that are, have more experience can sort of sherpa that you through the leveling process, what good decisions are being, you, you should be making and how cards can combo all that stuff. Uh, so yeah, I think this is a, a great opportunity for that. Yeah. I'm going to check this out. You've, you've sold me on this. Across the Obelisk is the name of the game. I, I think it's like 20 bucks, 30 bucks, something like that. I didn't buy it as I <laughs> told you. Okay, now having said that, I'm about to tell you about a game very much in the same genre that I like even more than Across the Obelisk. <laughs> Paul, Paul, Steam Return, Steam Return. Oh, Don't man, you? I got it, yeah. Oh, now, no. it, this does not have a co-op option, so I still uh, suggest Across the Obelisk for uh, for that co-op experience, but I got a code this week for Inscription, which is a new Devolver Digital uh, published card-based Slay the Spire-like game. And I didn't know what to expect about this. The whole whole vibe with Inscription, which is spelled like crypt in the middle, Inscription, the whole vibe is that it's like it's a it's a card game, a, a a a Hearthstone or a Slay the Spire, but it's like dark and metal, and 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 you're playing against the devil or you're playing against the demon, and it's it's dark and, and it's brooding and it's you know, which does not interest me. That's not going to be a, a draw for me. It's like the the feeling of this game is dreary and 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 gloomy and dread. Uh, that. I was like, well, maybe this is a pass for me. But I did get a code from Devolver Digital. And so I checked it out. And I'm really glad I did because this game is awesome. Awesome. The idea behind Inscription is that you are playing one of these games, you know, Hand of Fate or, or Slay the Spire, against this creature of darkness that you only see as eyes and, you know, behind a table in the darkness. So you're literally in a room sitting at a table. He's dealing or she is dealing cards to you. This, this creature is dealing cards to you and you're moving your pawn down the, 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 the table and it's unfurling a scroll in front of you and you're picking cards and you're playing against it. And that's all very cool because the room you're in is like a first person video game room. You can get up from the table anytime you want. You can wander around and look at stuff. And there's like puzzles and weird things to discover in the room. There's like a, it's like an escape room that also has this Slay the Spire card game in it, which is already very, very cool in my opinion. But the mechanics of the game are awesome. Most card games will have a resource, mana. And if you think of of Hearthstone, you have to spend the thing in order to play the card. So the card has a cost 
in order to play the card from your hand, Magic the Gathering. You have to have enough lands of a specific kind in order to be able to play the card out of your hand, okay? That's a fundamental element of these kinds of card games. Inscriptions resource is the sacrifice of other cards. So everything is is in this um this metaphor of animals. So you've got a card full of animals and there's animals like badgers and hawks and wolves that can do damage uh that will attack in the enemy and and win the game for you. And then there are other animals like a squirrel that doesn't do any damage but just sits there waiting to be sacrificed. So if you have your hand of cards, a wolf will require two blood sacrifices to come out onto the board. So you can play an, uh, a squirrel under the, under the table. And if you have two squirrels, you can sacrifice both squirrels and then play your wolf. And there's no limit to how many cards you can play on a given turn. And you can always draw. You have this deck that you are building. And you can always draw either a card from your deck or a squirrel. You're always able to draw a squirrel, should you choose. So there's this decision like, well, I have a bunch of cards in my hand and I can't play any of them because they all require sacrifice and there's not any, I don't have any animals to sacrifice. But I can pull a a squirrel card, I can draw a squirrel's card, immediately play it, immediately sacrifice it, and immediately play a card that only requires one sacrifice in order to get something useful onto the board. And then, should I choose, I could sacrifice that card to play something else. So you have these sacrifices that you can do to draw cards. Also, anything that dies from your hand creates bones. And enough, and some cards you can play if you have enough bones left over to play them. So it's this awesome cycle that's constantly having churning cards playing things down, destroying those, playing new ones, destroying those, playing new ones, which creates a an experience that's unlike any other of these kind of card games that I've played, and I've played a lot of them. It just feels so different and unique, and the decisions that you're making are so, so cool, and everything plays so fast. A lot of these games, like Hearthstone, anybody that's played Hearthstone knows that, you know, you, you end up you're like you're trying to work toward having a lot of mana to play your big cards and sort of matches last a certain amount of time. This game, I think it, it, it happens so much faster. There's so many fewer cards in play. Everything just like has this pace that's awesome. The look and feel of the game is strange and different and unique. It's like, it looks like a pixel art game, but it's in 3D. So it's like this heavily post-processed look to it that's really interesting and the vibe of this like death metal you know you're playing against a demon thing every time you you die you have you know he lights two candles for you and you you know you get defeated in combat one of the candles is snuffed out you get defeated in combat again the second candle is snuffed out that means your run is over your roguelite run is over at the end of that you wake up on the ground in first person. You wake up on the ground of this, wherever you are, this cabin or this escape room, whatever it is. And that creature is like looking at you through a door and says, well, now it's time for us to create your death card. 
and it picks up a Polaroid camera and takes a photo of you. And then you get to create a a card that's going to go into your deck in the next run that is built from elements of cards that you already have. So it'll draw two random cards from the deck of the run you just completed and say, okay, choose a cost from one of those cards. And then it'll say, choose an attack and health from another of these two cards and choose like a special feature from another of these two cards. So you get to build, every time you die, you get to build one special card that you've crafted in your deck the next run, which is such an awesome idea. And you get to name that card and it's got a picture. I mean, it's not a picture of you, right? It's because it's just a, you know, concept in the game, but it's this like horrific looking person that's (laughs) caught in the act of dying really clever really cool i'm super hooked on this game it's called inscription and i I think it's like one of the freshest most interesting takes on this kind of slay the spire idea that i've seen in quite a while wow yeah someone in chat said this would be super cool in vr and i agree i feel like (laughs) this is like kind of made for that Oh, I, to- I had the same exact thought. I was like, I wish this was a VR game. And it feels like it could be easily ported or even modded to be VR because, you. I mean, the controls are literally like lean forward on the desk, move your head back on the desk. Uh, and and the, the graphics are kind of low res and intentionally sort of pixel looking. So I think it would be an easy game to get into VR technically. Like it's not going to, you know, be difficult uh, graphically or any any sense of the... Uh, that way i just i just think the world of this game i'm i was as much as i wanted to play far cry 6 and back for blood i kept coming back to inscription this week and like wanting to play more and more of it it's it's really cool another cool thing that happens narratively like your cards some of your cards will talk to you and diss the demon character that you're playing against and when you fight bosses in the game the demon will like be like okay you're you're fighting the like the first boss that I fought was the prospector. You're fighting the prospector and it'll like put on this horrible wooden mask. So you've only been able to see its eyes, but now you see like this horrible mask that it's put on. It's like, I'm the prospector now. It's just, it's just like dripping with style. So clever. The writing is great. I am so high on this game. Inscription. It's really cool. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Uh, <laughs> we do have parting gifts coming up, so stick around for that. But Paul, thank you so much for being here. It's been so much fun having you. Thank you for having me. Honestly, this is legitimately wild because I, I hear all these intros and transitions every week anyway, and it's, <laughs> it's interesting to be a part of it. Like, what? Is this real? Uh, but yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, uh, tell folks where they can keep up with you and all the great stuff that you do during the week. Yeah, you can find me on uh, Twitter at Polymyo, it's P-O-L-I-M as in Mario, A-Y-O. Um, you can check out our podcast, The Optional Podcast, um, you know, on pretty much any podcast catcher out there. Go to theoptionalpodcast.com. You can find it there. Um, and yeah, check out the podcast I produce alongside uh, Jordan Mallory over at Fanbyte uh, at fanbyte.com slash podcasts. Um, we got, you know, some some cool podcasts on there, you know, like like The Optional and uh, got Spawn on Me. Uh, Thanks for the Knowledge, which is a video game news show. We got a, We got a bunch of cool things on there, which I'm, I'm very, very proud of. And uh, yeah, check us out sometime. Yeah. Great network. Great network. Thank you. Thank you. 
Christian Spicer, what about you? What do you got going on this week? Other than more Metroid Dread play. That, and, and Paul, I've told John this, but I'm such a big fan of what you all are building and have built at um, Fanbyte. Um, Thank you. I, mean, I, I keep waiting for the, the cock cooking show that, um, you know, needs oh, to it's happen. Coming. But- it's coming. <laughs> yeah, we're we're going to figure it out. Don't worry. We, we got it. But truly, uh, people listen to those shows and, and it, it's really inspiring to see the the work that you're doing and the stuff that you all are building. It's really cool. Appreciate that. Um, this week is, it, I mean, it's, it's Metroid for me, um, and puppy training, like nothing exciting. Her name, oh, someone in the chat said, is her name Samus? No, her name is, is Bingo, which is the little sister in Bluey. Um, the best she's kids a, show of all time. I mean, you can strike kids from that. It's just a fantastic show. It's a great like, show. It's not, um, she's a yellow lab and, uh. She's the best. So that's, I mean, that's my week, unfortunately. I mean, not, I signed up for it. Um, If there is any other fun stuff, it'd be on Twitter, at Spicer, S-P-I-C-E-R, is where you can find uh, other musings that go into my head. Uh, And then I have a newsletter that I have not um, been tardy with it, because I was doing uh, comic book stuff and whatever. But there will, I will send out another one. It's about monthly. You can subscribe to it at tinyletter.com slash Christian Spicer where I, I write long form about uh, video games. Very cool. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. And I have several other shows for you to check out, including the film cast, which is a movie and TV show review podcast. Um, that show is, uh, is tons of fun. We have uh, ancillary content as well. Extra after dark shows uh, this week. We're, we're, we're doing, um, no Time to Die, the Bond movie, we reviewed. In fact, it came out early for our patrons, uh, and uh, we had an incredible guest on. It's one of the foremost uh, James Bond scholars, really. Uh, somebody that knows a ton about the series, and it was awesome picking apart No Time to Die with them. The week before that, we had uh, we did the that Sopranos movie with the guy who wrote the book on Sopranos. Uh, it, it's a great podcast. Check it out. The film cast. Also, I do um, the dungeon run, which is a live tabletop role-playing show. You can check that out on YouTube or as a podcast by searching for the dungeon run. Uh, we also stream people, live Wednesday nights, 6 p.m. Pacific time. At people Twitch. need to listen to that. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. Get the Twitch in. Go, go, go. Uh, Twitch.tv slash the dungeon run. What was that? People need to listen to the dungeon run uh, for a multitude of reasons, but one being, to even further appreciate the incredible fan art that you all are getting. Like, yeah, I'll see mm. you retweet it out. And if you've listened to the episodes and then it's like, the, the, yes, they knocked it out of the park. And it's so fun. Not that you all don't do a great job creating it, but there's so much extra accoutrement that you really appreciate. If well, you listen to the show, Christian, I'm glad you brought that up because uh, something our fans did last year and are doing again this year is something they call inktober. Yes. Inktober is like this fan art initiative where they come up with a, a daily prompt built around the dungeon run, uh, usually some, some character or some moment, uh, and everybody that day does a piece of fan art that's participating. They do a piece of fan art. It's extraordinary. The, the level of creativity is uh, amazing, as you said. So, yes, thank you for mentioning that. Uh, also, I do a comedy science show called We Have Concerns. You can find that at wehaveconcerns.com. And I do a sports show, the fan-controlled football show, which just celebrated our 
first year anniversary this last hey. week, which was tons of fun. Uh, you can find that at twitch.tv slash FCF. All right. Let's wrap the show up now with our parting gifts. Hey, give us a suggestion. Paul, do you have a suggestion to help people get through their week? Oh, yeah. I, I, I felt like uh, maybe I'll keep it sports-related, having seen uh, Christians in advance. But um, I almost made it Formula One, but I'm going to not talk about Formula One another time. I'll, maybe I'll say that for, for next time. All uh, right. Maybe I'll do well, that for yeah, next time. To, you know, I'd love to have you back on. i got to hear it. Oh, for sure, for sure. But uh, for, for this week, uh, I'm going to have to say uh, season two of Ted Lasso. Yes. Uh, Ted Lasso is is a wonderful show on Apple TV+. Plus. Uh, that I adore. It's about uh, um, someone who used to be a collegiate football coach, American football coach, and uh, gets a job um, uh, across the the pond over in the UK to coach uh, a football or soccer uh, team. And it's just such a wonderful, heartwarming show about somebody who is just kind of, you know, uh, just can't be phased is is so positive has a really great outlook and and a wonderful cast of supporting characters who all are there to like really explore um you know these intricate ways in which they have to work together and overcome obstacles together and, and sort of become vulnerable with one another in interesting ways like it's so well written um it's it's hilarious jason sudeikis is is wonderful and the whole cast is wonderful but um, yeah, that show has gotten me to shed tears on multiple occasions. And uh, anytime a show can do that, I'm always like, yeah, y'all should check it out. I, I love Ted Lasso. I could, t- I might actually even try to be Ted Lasso for Halloween this, this year. We'll so see how great. that goes. Yeah, it's um, such a great show. Yeah. I mean, it is so heartwarming good. and delightful and good. It is good uh, and promotes goodness. It's, yeah, I concur. Christian Spicer, what about you? What's your parting gift? Uh, it is sports. It is my yearly uh, playoff baseball parting gift. It is the playoffs. Um, the one game wild card nail biters are now done. We are in the divisional series. If I have seemed, I don't think I've seemed that distracted, but if I've seemed slightly a little distracted, I have been checking the Astros White Sox game throughout this show. A busted. That's what I've been looking at. Um, I originally from Houston, big Astros fan. Astros Dodgers were my two teams. Then they met in the World Series. We've talked about this on this show, Jeff. It was the best year of my life. Couldn't go wrong either way. Uh, I won. And then, and then, then I wrong. found out they cheated and it went wrong. It went, it went you wrong. You tempted but fate and fate had some news for you. They, they, they sure did. But I'm hopeful now we can get a, a fair rematch. That'd be, I mean, I'd be spoiled. Spoiled with riches. That'd be incredible. Um, playoff baseball. I love baseball. I think much like F1 um, and non-NASCAR racing um even nascar racing really like the drama is in the in-between in my opinion Mm. yes a big fiery wreck or yes you know taking an outside turn that you should not uh take you know (laughs) going around is dramatic and exciting as well but the drama of baseball is in the in-between and it is the best in the playoffs um pick your team be a fair weather fan grab one now get in or jump in going fresh next series in the the al and lcs pick a team go all in and if you'll probably be like me watching the game like this <laughs> and your wife is like partner's like are, are you enjoying this <laughs> is this fun of course <laughs> what, are, what about this 
Because you think I'm not enjoying Oh, crap. Yeah. This is the worst sport. I, off your hip, ground rule, dump. Yes, it's in the rule, but that is so dumb. Love yeah, sports. Love yeah. Yeah. yeah, I love sports. Niner, Niners on a three-game losing streak today. My wife is like, why do you even put yourself through this? I'm like, I love it fun. so much. Yeah, uh, as a Knicks fan, I'm, uh, you don't understand. Yeah, yeah, they're close, Paul. I, I probably realized I jinxed him for another twenty years, like Groundhog yeah, thanks. Day. Great, awesome. But the Knicks, the Knicks thanks, are Christian. close. <laughs> hey, yeah, we are, we are, we are. At least their star player can actually play home games. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, my parting gift is uh, a show I just discovered that is brand new to Hulu, or at least uh, FX on Hulu, which. Is that a, a distinction without a difference? I don't know. It's a distinction that Hulu makes. It's the FX shows that are on Hulu. Uh, this is a new show called Poorly Drawn Lines, which I'm sure a lot of people listening to this had already heard of. I hadn't because it's a webcomic. Uh, it started as a webcomic and is now a fully animated show on uh, FX on Hulu. And I just popped it on last night. Just, just you know, it's short. I'll check it out. I like animation. Oh, man, I laughed my patooters off uh, watching this show. It's clever. It's funny. It's weird, weird, weird in the best possible way. Uh, I love I love weird. And uh, when it comes to comedy and this game, this show is <laughs> delivers poorly drawn lines. Uh, only two episodes as of this recording, or at least I believe uh, as of this recording last night, there was only two to watch. But I loved both of them uh, and I recommend it to uh, others. All right. Uh, we also got a listener's suggested parting gift. This is uh, this comes to us at dlcfeedback at gmail.com. Uh, it comes from Scott, who is Global Reset in the chat. Uh, Scott writes, after hearing Jeff talk about getting into chess with his wife, which I did last week in my parting gift, and being curious about introducing chess to his child, which I did this week with my five-year-old, uh, I have a recommendation for anyone with little ones they would like to get into chess. No stress chess turns the game of chess into something like a card game with a natural progression as your young learner gets the basics down so they aren't overwhelmed the first stage has each player draw one card from the top of the deck which tells you which piece you're allowed to move and has a picture to guide you to show you the way the piece is allowed to move the next level of progression would have you add another card to your hand so the learner can now actually start to make choices about which of the two pieces they are allowed to move Eventually, you would have a hand of five cards before your kid might be ready to tackle the game without the rails. We started with our daughter when she was around three, and she loved it. Thanks, Scott. That Again, that is called No Stress Chess. Uh, really, uh, really cool. I was impressed at how much my son took uh, to at least wanting to play the game or, or wanting to learn it. Um, today, I was watching football, and he comes up to me and goes, Daddy, can we play chess? I was like, what? genie did i accidentally make a wish on that this turned out to be the case because my son just walked up to me and asked if he could play chess with me it's like daddy i set up the board i was like you set up the board after watching me do it once oh you're a genius anyway but that he set you as white or black and did he open with the queen's gambit like what are we talking about here yeah you know, yeah, like, yeah. How far strats? Right? yeah no he's yeah. he's doing all the drugs now uh queen's gambit <laughs> oh no as, you know, that, yeah no i um this this is wonderful to hear because my I have a nephew uh, who is nine and and loves chess and um, 
I remember also playing chess with my dad growing up and it, it's, it's, it's a, again, talk about a pure formula like Tetris chess is just, man, it's good when it's good. It's great. It's great. Yeah. yeah. I, I, it's been too long since I played it and I, it's just, it's great. H- having a good chess set is I think so important. Like the big heavy pieces that feel good. Like that's the tactile yes. thing works for me. Anyway. Star Wars battle chess on Sega CD. I agree. You got to have a quality <laughs> chess right, game right. in the house. <laughs> if you want to have your parting gift read on our show, send it to us. DLCfeedback at gmail.com is where you send those. We love hearing from you. All right. That's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Thanks again to Paul Tamayo and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Thanks to our musical contributors, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, and Zero Star. For those awesome bumpers thanks to the folks in our chat room for contributing live and making the show better in real time we appreciate you and thanks to each and every one of you who takes the time to download the show and listen we're grateful and we'll be back next week until then think about what you put out into the world make it a better place <laughs>